You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning and welcome again to Grace Community Church. Uh, if this is your first time here, uh, you are here on a morning that is uh, one of those days in which we have these odd mixtures of emotions as believers of, of deep sorrow and great joy as one of our loved, beloved Callie Moody has gone to be with Jesus uh, Friday afternoon and so grateful that uh, the Moody's are here today. And Chad and Sarah want to express their deep, deep gratitude to the entire family of Grace Community Church for walking with Callie and with all of the Moody's for 11 years. Uh, There's nothing quite like this kind of family, and God has blessed us with a beautiful family. Chad and Sarah probably walked with my family as well as anybody, and all of you did. I've I've got, I had in-laws who were in ministry, and the whole families have been in ministry. They said they'd never seen anything like the care that this church poured on. And Chad and Sarah, even in the beginning days of, of their pain with Callie, ministered to us beautifully. Um, through 11 years of grieving, Chad and Sarah and Bella and Jazz and Scarlett and Paxson and Saber have displayed amazing faith. Uh, as the Lord calls us to trust Him, He does it over and over in Scripture. And it, and it could be the theme of Isaiah that we're studying right now. Trust. Beautiful example of, of trust. Um, the Moody's all acknowledge, we all acknowledge, Cali is in a safe and wonderful place. And our faith is strengthened by their faith. But they would say that their faith is our faith. We're in this together. We're in this together. Uh, we've shared in their ups and downs and in their sorrow and laughter. And on Friday, we're going to have a service, a re- service of remembrance and celebration at Fuquay Verena Baptist Church. It's going to be Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock. We just, there's no way to hold the number of people that will want to be um, sharing their, uh, their love and support for the Moody's and their joy in our understanding of what God gave us for 12, almost 12 years with Callie and the beautiful place that she's in now. So after the service, uh, we're going to do our best. This is going to be our primary sadness, what I've already said today. And we're going to do our best to just, just to, to celebrate the life that was Callie Moody, that is Callie Moody. In fact, she's more alive than she's ever been. So 4 p.m. service, and we're going to have a lot of coordination to do. Fortunately, other people will be doing that and not me. Um, but we have a lot of things to get in order. We care at the Baptist Church will be picking up about that time. We've got a lot of stuff to, to do. But one thing, if you're saying, what can I do? Begin preparing food now. We're going to have a lot of food for reception afterwards. Meatballs, triangle sandwiches. You can have anything in there as long as it's pimento cheese. And whatever else you want. But just think of those kinds of things that will be um, good for that kind of heavy hors d'oeuvres, that kind of a thing. It's not a potluck, but it's somewhere in between. Um, So we expect a large crowd, so please uh, 
be, be in uh, prayer and thinking about that. Now, Callie's favorite color was purple, so it's going to be a purple theme, all right? Purple theme. You might hear some happy music there sometime during the day, uh, so be prepared for that. We, we will not blindly disregard our pain. It's unwise not to grieve, but we will give thanks for 12 beautiful years. Uh, the number of lives that Kalyana Rose Moody and her family touched internationally is well beyond anything you could possibly imagine. We love you, Moody's, all of you. Sarah's mom and sisters here today, so many other family that have been so close. Good friend, really family, uh, Dukem. So uh, just thank you, all of you who have served this family so well. Last week, I began the sermon, uh, the sermon time with a multiple choice, choice question. Uh, and this morning, it's going to be a fill in the blank and, and, and really, there's no right or wrong, so it's really not like a quiz. Uh, but you answer this anyway. In only one generation, we are in danger of, what would you say? I imagine the answers could range any, anywhere from, we are in danger of losing our freedom to being well beyond anything we can do for the environment. It's totally gone. We, all kinds of things. Look, if, if you're spiritual... You want to give a spiritual answer? You could say something like, in, in only one generation, we are in danger of losing the gospel in our land. All these things are true, you know. That's, they have some ring of truth. I mean, if you have an apocalyptic bent, you want to go there, uh, you could talk about the depletion of phosphorus in the next 50 years or so and how phosphorus is one of the key ingredients for fertilizer, which is not good news for a planet that expects 9 billion people by 20. 50. Of course, we will have achieved singularity by then, where machine and man will become one, and hopefully we will cooperate. Um, but so, as someone told me, that, I wish I could remember who gave me this line at the hospital the other day. They said, do we achieve singularity or does singularity achieve us? You know, it's kind of that, that kind of question. Uh, if we had lived in Isaiah's time, we would not be worrying about the kinds of things that Americans worry about. We wouldn't be talking about our potential losses in a generation. We would be talking about potential losses next month. Next month, we are in danger of an army invading us and, and, and laying waste our land. We are in danger of losing our freedom, our dignity, our personal rights and many of us, many of us are in danger of losing our lives. Such concerns were legitimate. And the kings of Judah, understanding that, often made alliances with other nations. And it wasn't so much that they were making alliances with other nations that, that frustrated the Lord. I mean, David, Solomon, they all did it. Sometimes it seemed to bother the Lord, sometimes it didn't. The key thing was he was frustrated when they turned their trust away from Yahweh and began putting their trust in other nations and in pagan gods in Ahaz's case, the king that 
is, is primarily featured in Isaiah 7 through 12. And all of his uh, backhanded or backroom dealing and uh, wheeling and dealing that, that just frustrated the Lord to no end. He wanted his people to trust him. And so he said, there's going to be near destruction of Judah. It won't be total destruction, he said. That's going to come a little bit later. But even so, the people will survive. A remnant will survive. And, and, and eventually, a Messiah will come who will restore God's people and, and be given to encourage those um, who suffer before this Messiah would come and deliver them. That word was given to them to encourage them. The Messiah that Isaiah promised to the people, of course, was Jesus. <clears throat> they didn't know it. So we wouldn't have known that, that God would produce the kind of Messiah that he eventually did. We wouldn't have had any idea about that during that day. Uh, although many of the Jewish people rejected Jesus, not all did. Furthermore, Romans 11 tells us that it was through the Jews' rejection of Jesus that God opened the way for Gentiles to be brought into God's covenant family. And so according to Galatians 3, all who believe in Jesus are <clears throat> God's covenant family. They are tr the true children of Abraham. Why does it have to be like that? Why do the Jews have to disbelieve in order that the Gentiles might believe? I don't know. I, I mean, I just think maybe it's part of the symmetry that is seen over and over in the way that God has designed this world to be. Some are drawn to God's truth. Others reject it. Why do some of us believe and some don't? We just do. And we just don't. If this is your first time at Grace... Uh, you'll no doubt have discovered from the screen that we're conducting a study on the book of Isaiah. I, I would typically give a quick review here. Once again, for the second week in a row, I had that awesome map from two weeks ago up and had to take it out. There's just too much else uh, to say. So if you want to get the context for what I'm talking about today, go back, go to our website. Podcasts are available of our uh, former uh, sermons in Isaiah. Uh, so Isaiah 11 and 12, which is our text for today, is not a division you would find in any serious study. Last several weeks, 7 and 8, 9 and 10, 11 and 12, that's not a division you'll find anywhere. But it works for us in order to try to get through the book. The next few weeks, it's going to feel like instead of walking through Isaiah, we're, gonna, we're doing a speed sprint or, or, or at least a really determined march. We're going to cover a whole lot of chapters over these next two weeks and then... We'll settle down a lot more when we get to Isaiah 40 and the chapters beyond that where some beautiful promises are given to us. So today is Isaiah 11 and 12. I'll, when I cover it all, I'll begin our time by reading Isaiah 11 verses 1 to 10. It's our custom to stand as the scriptures read. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Do you see the uh, background here on, the, on these slides? That's a, 
that's a stump, that's a log, it's a stump. And that was the inspiration for Scott Shambly's uh, design for this series. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with a righteous, with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. By the way, you see that verse uh, misapplied all the time. A little child will lead these animals that don't typically get along together. And which you wouldn't want your child leading a lion around, I don't suppose, or a leopard. Uh, but that's, that's going to happen one day. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child shall play over the hole or the mouth of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's pray. Father, we long for this day that was prophesied. We have seen Jesus uh, the first time that he came to this earth. We have seen his perfect life, his submission to the Father, led by the Spirit, walking to the cross, taking our sins upon himself, And dying on our behalf. We have seen him resurrected from the grave. And when the disciples said. Is this the time? When is the kingdom coming? He said don't worry about that. The angel said as you have seen him go. He will return. Lord we long for that day. We long for the day where there's no more sorrow. No more pain. No more confusion. No more loss. No more betrayal. No more broken relationships. No more sickness. No more death. Lord, you have promised life and we cling to that promise today. Life eternal. And we pray that our hearts will be encouraged by this text. So beautifully chosen by the Holy Spirit for us to hear this day. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. 
Are you familiar with the series of paintings by American painter Edward Hicks that he called the Peaceable Kingdom? The Whitleys have this in their uh, living room, I believe you have that up there. Rand sent this to me this week, and it's just so perfect. There are a, a lot of people um, that think Isaiah 11 is just figurative. I think it's literal. A lot of conservative scholars think it's figurative. I think the day is coming, and it answers the question about carnivores, the, the oxen. I mean, the lion's going to eat straw. One day, everything is going to be restored to the shape that it was in when the Lord gave this beautiful earth to all of us and gave um, this kind of peace to his people. Uh, these paintings, as you can imagine, were based large, largely on the uh, truth that we have just read. Uh, in one way or another, no matter how you take this text, figuratively, uh, literally, I think all of us long for something of the life depicted in this scene. Both the painting and, and Isaiah 11. With so much news of judgment in the book of Isaiah, the good news is exceedingly good. It's as good as any news in the Bible. You have to go to Revelation. And it's interesting to me that I keep being drawn back and back to Revelation uh, in this study of Isaiah. And I'm home group leaders especially, you're getting notes, you know how much we're thinking about Revelation as we think about Isaiah. Yesterday, when we were talking about the service of celebration on Friday, Revelation 21.4, I'm going to reference it later. The favorite verse surrounding Cali, when the day comes that there will be no more tears, they're all wiped away. Uh, remember, when we talk about hope in biblical usage, we're not talking about this life getting better. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, we're, it's, it's, it's not a wish that something will come true in this life, but it's a firm conviction of eternal life because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for sinners. With this definition in mind, I want to, uh, us to focus on three general truths that will both encourage our hearts and direct our thinking during these days, these days in which we have been appointed to live. Isaiah and Ahaz and Hezekiah, we're going to be reading about soon. They all had their day. We've got our day. So Isaiah speaks very much to the, to the day in which we live as well as it did his day. First, sorrow is never the final word for God's covenant family. When we pass from this world, we don't pass... From life to death. For believers, we pass from death to life. Death to life. We mourn the loss of Caliana Rose and we grieve with the entire family while at the same time we rejoice over her deliverance. Are we sad? Of course we are. Again, it's not wise to deny our grief, but grief is not. The last word. Not only will we see Callie again, but we have some idea of her present state. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that to be absent from the body is to be present 
with the Lord. Is there a temporary body? I think so, because these bodies are going to rise from the grave. Whatever happens to these bodies, no matter what happens to these bodies, they're going to come back together and we're going to be in these bodies for eternity, but they're going to be new. Not this body specifically, but I'm probably, unfortunately, still going to look like this. Now, I probably I'm going to, you know, be a little better here, maybe. I don't know. <clears throat> I'm hoping so. We believe Callie is with the Lord. Can you imagine her first moments in heaven? You ever seen Pax do the floss, whatever that is, that thing? <laughs> I told him the other day, Callie is smoking you right now on the floss, you know. She's doing it like nobody's business. Because that's the promise that we have. Again, remember the context of these words of hope in Isaiah 11. The nation was in peril. Desperate for someone to deliver them from the the two enemies to their north and then the ones to the east and the south. I mean, the west and the southeast. And man, they got people coming from everywhere. And, and, and God is saying, trust me. And Ahaz is saying, trust me. I've got, I've got it covered. But although Isaiah prophesied hard times ahead for the unbelieving Judeans, he also promised a deliverer would come who would not only protect God's covenant people from the wrath of their enemies, but, but who would have such power and authority. Imagine this. Such power and authority that justice and righteousness would be the order of the day. It was anything but. God said the day is coming. Isaiah 11, 1 tells us that the ruler would be a small sprig that just comes up out of a, out of a tree stump. The tree's been cut down. Then it was burned and you think there's no life anywhere. And then all of a sudden, this little green sprig. Verse 2 tells us that the kind of uh, ruler we would have will burst into the darkness. And he'll bring light and life evermore. And he will be dependent upon the Spirit. Look at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. You know, I've known all my Christian life that Jesus came at the direction of the Father, that he always did what his Father told him to do. That's what it says. Jesus said over and over, I do the will of my Father, always. We know about the exchange in the, uh, in the garden, Father, if there's any way, you can deliver me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. The prayer that never fails. Your will be done. And Jesus always followed his father's direction. And, and I've also known that he did it at the spirit's leadership and strength and empowering and guidance. But it may be that I have never considered his dependence on the Father and the Holy Spirit as fully as I have this week thinking about this verse. This is crazy. I have learned as much about Jesus from Isaiah, not just what we've done so far, but in the last year or two, just thinking about Isaiah. I've learned as much about Jesus from Isaiah as I ever have from the New Testament. And there's so much more said, but this tells us exactly who he's going to be. Look, for, forget about 
a, a, a leader of a nation like Ahaz. Forget about our president, the president of our land, um, who could be selfless. And just think about what our contribution could be to the body of Christ if we were not so desperately insecure and so protective of ourselves and ours and so fully committed to our own advancement. Well, it's a not nice thought, but it's not happening uh, until Jesus returns, which moves us to the next thought. I will explain that as I go. God has a way of showing up where you least, when and where you least expect it. I mean, why do you think so many Jewish leaders missed what God was doing through Jesus? Well, for starters, there are two pictures of Jesus painted in the Old Testament prophecy. One is this humble servant who would die on behalf of the people. Another is a conquering hero who would defeat the enemies of the people of God and reign on the throne, and Israel would be the, the head of all the world. Now, which one would you prefer? If you were under Roman oppression, you'd been under so many different conquerors for 500 years, over 500 years, and, and, and now you're looking for a Messiah. Who are you looking for? I'm looking for the conquering king. And most people did not want to think about it beyond that, especially when Jesus comes along and exposes their hypocrisy. And he says, you pretend that you're all about the people, but you're really all about yourself. You're the bad shepherds that the prophets talked about in the Old Testament. And they're like, well, who do you think you're talking to? Just a peasant. Jesus met almost none of their expectations, but he fulfilled all the prophecies given about the Messiah's personhood. And, and though his perfect reign that we read about this morning is in the future, the religious leader's eyes were blind to Jesus in the same way that God had told Isaiah they would be in Isaiah 6. There were a few Jewish leaders, though, who eventually came to believe, some that we know about, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, and then a lot of the chief, the priests believed later, we're told, at different times in the book of Acts. So some people took the time to do the study, and in Nicodemus' case, he had a private conversation with Jesus, and he said, you know what? I don't fully get it because I see this conqueror, but I also see this suffering servant who died in my place. I mean, Nicodemus, you think about what he and Joseph did. I talked about this a few weeks ago. But they were willing to defile themselves at the Passover to take Jesus' body off the cross, prepare it for burial. They believed all the way because they, they eventually said, you know what? I see it. Life, crucifixion, rejection and crucifixion, resurrection. I see it all in the Old Testament. It's all there. It seems to be God's pattern to show up when and where we least expect him. As we read about last week in Zebulun and Naphtali, and, uh, which were the first tribes of Israel to experience God's blessing after they usually were the ones to, to be the first to experience the warring nations that would come against Israel. Uh, who would have possibly thought that this itinerant preacher, this 
carpenter from Nazareth would turn the world upside down. He and his followers would turn the world upside down within a century. God often shows up unexpectedly. For many believers, though, I think we're tempted to think, I've discovered over time the opposite to be true. God does not show up when we need him the most. Where is he when we need him the most? Have you ever been frustrated with what seemed to be like silence from heaven when you felt like you needed the Lord so very much? By the way, if you're a relatively young Christian, two things. One, we're having a baptismal service next month. If you've not been baptized, this this is the time. You really ought to do that. But two, it seems... So often that when we're young in our faith that the Lord just answers prayers and we think, man, this is great. It's like I can pray and God will always answer my prayer. And over time, you experience less and less answers in the positive way that you are expecting it. And it almost feels like, what's happening? Is something wrong with me? No. Here's the thing. God is bringing you to a deeper level of trust. You may have felt like God just doesn't care. But as always the case that his grace and his mercy are perfectly timed. Why is God often slow to answer our prayers? And why does he sometimes withhold the desire of our heart from us? I'm not talking about the whimsical, self-centered kind of prayers and requests that we make. But, but the desires that are good and right and worthy. Why does he say no sometimes or hold off? As it was with the kings of Judah, more than anything else, God wants us to trust him. Why? So that he can say, well, okay, now you know. For our own good. And when we trust him, he gives us the greatest gift that we could possibly have. Himself. Without him, we seek to manage the kingdom of our lives. Just like Ahaz did. Ahaz did. Manipulating, managing, always doing good. God's given us beautiful resources. I always take advantage of whatever resources are available to me. I'm not opposed to that at all. Over time, God has constantly reminded me, pray first, then go after the resources, you know. Because God wants to give us himself. If we don't, we seek to manage our own kingdoms, which makes us blind to the third and final point. There is no peaceable kingdom without the legitimate king on his throne. King Ahaz was certain he could manage the crisis. Just fine. Isaiah said, ask anything you want. God will give you a sign that he's going to take care of you. Wouldn't do that. Don't want to tempt the Lord. Hogwash. That's, he, he's just deflecting. Ahaz is like, look, you let your God take care of you. I'll take care of me. Doesn't seem like he's doing too good a job. I'll take care of this. I'll handle this. 
But how would you have liked to have been in Ahab's shoes? Israel, Syria coming at you, the Philistines, uh, the Moabites, everybody's coming at you. And you got to do something quickly. If you were the leader of our nation in our day, what changes would you make? I'm going to guess the answers would be a lot different than they would have been if we were all sitting in this room 30, 40 years ago. 30, 40 years ago, a high percentage of you would have probably said, oh, I don't want to be the leader of any nation. I'm guessing now a lot of people say, well, yeah, I can tell you what changes I'd make right now. And why wouldn't we? Look, with the internet, we're all experts, right? (laughs) If you had ultimate power and you didn't have to persuade people to your point of view, you could just enact some policies, laws, what would you do? What policies would you implement to bring about positive change? But that's a bogus question, isn't it? I mean, all of us know we... We can't do it on our own. We can't just say, all right, people, this is the way it's going to be, and now it's going to be that way. We are deeply divided as a nation. I keep thinking we're going to get over it. We don't. We're getting worse. We're deeply divided and increasingly feel that the other side, whichever side that is, is taking us down in a hurry. We're going down as a country, and I'll tell you why. It's because of those yahoos on the other side. We rarely seek to persuade people to our point of view, although we devote enormous amounts of energy criticizing those who don't agree with us. In fact, you may be thinking that's exactly right. Those jerks on the other side of the political fence are trying to bring me down. Hmm. As distressing as it is to witness our country being torn apart by the increasingly polarized positions we hold. It is far more disturbing to witness the church being torn apart. Instead of seeking to settle our differences behind closed doors, as the Lord commands us to do in 1 Corinthians 6, He says, don't take your mess to the world. Do you not have anybody in the church that is able to handle these disputes that you have? What's wrong with you? We rush to establish our bona fides or our bona fides, if you're snooty enough, with the world by tweeting our contempt For brothers and sisters who think differently than we do. Or who made an unwise decision and or comment years ago. And if you did that, if you did something really stupid years ago. What are you going to do? You're either going to make the most sincere apology ever made. Or you're going to double down and the division just. It just keeps growing. When we tweet our contempt, even if we don't say it, that it's contempt, it comes across as contempt, toward our brothers and sisters. Where are we heading? We're a long way from God's decision for us or his design for us. As stated in 1 Corinthians 6, 6 to 8. Listen to these words. Brothers, 
brother goes to law against brother. And that before unbelievers, really? You're doing that, Paul says? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. If you tweet about a brother or sister, it's a defeat. It's a defeat for you. It's a defeat for the church. When you take it to the world. Why not rather suffer wrong? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Apparently I yell. I hear it all the time. John Piper doesn't match or doesn't. There's the defense right there. Some, one of you tweeted the other day. I saw it. Our pastor was yelling at us. No, I'm just kidding. Think about it. Why not suffer wrong? When is the last time you've thought about that? Brothers and sisters. When somebody attacks you, world, church, suffer the wrong. Why not rather be defrauded? Let them take your, 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 your possessions, your livelihood. Just let it go. And what do we do in the, if that happens? Same thing they were told in Isaiah. Trust God. Verse 8. But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Here is the reality We have to acknowledge the kingdom that is described in Isaiah 11 will only be realized when Jesus has returned to this earth to reign unchallenged. What if instead of expressing your outrage over the national or church offense du jour, you said in your heart, not on Twitter, but in your heart, I forgive you. Think about somebody politically in the church, not our church hopefully, but in the church at large, who has really offended you. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not talking to the other side. I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to me. I saw this leadership cartoon one time. It says, Pastor John prepares for the board meeting. He's a young guy with spiked hair, you know. And he's looking in the mirror and he says, you talking to me? You talking to me? And yes, I'm talking to you and to me. Someone has aggravated you substantially. Someone has infuriated you. You've got the person in your mind. Maybe somebody you never knew. Maybe you have or have not written about that person. Forgive them. Am I saying... Let all bygones be bygones and never challenge things that happened in the past. Well, it was back then. No, it's not what I'm saying. But we've got to find some level of balance. And I promise you, Scripture, what I just read in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Peter, it's all through there. Suffer instead of reacting. Why are we called to that? Why can we do that? Because of this table. What this is going to do. And some of us. Have some business to do with the Lord. Before we come to this table. Confess in your heart. The anger. The resentment. The bitterness. 
that you have toward others. If we don't find a way as a nation to come together and move forward, I don't think we make it. You can call that apocalyptic all you want. Empires fall in a day. And it could be a slow decline. Or it could be overnight, like Babylon fell. It could be overnight. It doesn't... We can't. And if the church cannot allow the gospel to have impact on us that gets us beyond imitating the culture, rushing quickly so everybody will know where you stand on the issues. If we can't get better than just destroying one another, the gospel will move on to more fertile hearts in other lands. I can promise you. We're in danger of not losing the Lord, of Him just walking away and saying, Okay, the gospel moves on. And look, it's all part of his design and his plan anyway. We need each other. <coughs> Chad said two or three times, the church. And then he just stopped. You know, he just shake his head. I don't know what we do. We get along as well as you can possibly get, away, get along, I think. And, 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 and we don't all believe the exact same ways. And I promise you, if you think that I am pointing fingers, at, I, this is where all of my fingers are pointed. I, 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 have to, I have to live with this stuff that I'm preaching. How arrogant it would be for me to get up here and say... Oh, you don't think like I do, Bob. Well, you were beating the drum a little hard today. I think there's something upsetting you or like, something like that. You need to hear what I've got. No. Bob and I probably agree on everything. But just pulling it out. I'm, I'm not talking at anybody, I promise you. The gospel is good news. It promises forgiveness and life for those who acknowledge their sin and profess faith in Jesus' death as the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. Jesus died so that we might live. The gospel moves us beyond ourselves to a place of service for God, which in the New Testament almost always means service to our brothers and sisters in the church. And to those outside the church whenever we have opportunity. So as we come to the Lord's table this morning. Confess your anger and resentment toward those who you think are badly misguided in their beliefs. I, I think I said it last week. I, I don't know um, if I did or not. have been thinking about talking about this. We... It's funny how we're, if we're on different sides of the tape at a protest and the police are in the middle, we can scream at each other, we can scream at each other this way. If we're brought to the table, we tend to find a way. 
we're going to lose that sooner or later in our country. If we keep going like this, I keep thinking surely that the, the, the energy will be expended and we will take a breath and get over it. But there's just something else, something else always. God's calling us to this table. And we need to come here often so that we don't forget how he has brought us together as one. And no, no, the knee doesn't act like the shoulder. You know, the ear is not the foot. There are differences. And you've got parts of your body you don't like. Oh, boy, I wish I had better feet, you know. I wish I had the better this, that, or the other. God, this is exactly God's design. Your body, by the way, is God's design. This body is His design. And He reminds us how much we need each other when we come to this table. And how much we need Him who died for us. When your heart anticipates this king who will come and set up this peaceable kingdom on earth, you will seek to live in those ways already as much as is possible. I want to go. I'm not encouraging you to become a lion tamer. I am encouraging you to get along with those who are different than you. To, to, to seek justice and righteousness and love and forgiveness. You can't separate all those things. They all go together. So as we move to the table, let the beautiful words of Isaiah, just six verses, prepare you for the Lord's Supper. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among, among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst... It's the Holy One of Israel. Who is the Holy One of Israel? Jesus. Let's make Him great in our midst. Let's pray. Well, Father... There is so much conviction and so much care and comfort in your word that sustains us. And Lord, even, even the stuff that is hard to hear, 
We know in our hearts it's good for us. We know in our hearts that we need to be shown our blind spots, our weaknesses. And we need to be shown the darkness of our own hearts that, 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 that obscures the needs and, and the desires of others and looks only to ourselves uh, for any kind of advancement. Lord, make us like Jesus. May we care first and foremost what the Father's plan for us is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that plan through the word. And may we live for you, God. May we live for others. May we care more about what pleases you than about what pleases us. And Lord, in our times of deep sorrow, we are so grateful for the promise of eternal life through Jesus. We long for the day when the lion and the lamb lay down together. And we dwell in peace. And righteousness and justice are the order of the day. Change our hearts, even as we partake at the table. That reminds us that Jesus died for us and he's called us into one body. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the deacons and elders who are serving this morning if they will be coming forward. I just want to give you a word about... Um, what we're going to be doing, if your first time here, um, we, we serve the Lord's Supper twice a month. We participate in the Lord's Supper twice a month. And um, the first Sunday of the month, we come forward and partake up front. You can come, please come to the section in front of you. You'll come down these interior aisles. You'll walk back up the center aisle or the outer aisles. Uh, so ushers will be there to sort of direct you. Um, go to the station in front of your section unless uh, your section is way backed up and the other one is free. We'll have someone in the back, uh, and just so as a way of knowing, unleavened bread that is also gluten-free. Well, it is gluten-free. I guess that's redundant, I suppose. I don't know enough to know. But gluten-free, if you have those kind of concerns, you can partake at the front or most people take it back. Meditate for a few moments and partake at their seats. Uh, we come to this table uh, as often as we do to be reminded of the Lord's uh, good, beautiful sacrifice on our behalf. And the words of institution set the table. We invite you, if you're a believer, to come if you're an unbeliever, come forward, just walk by, don't partake. This is a meal for believers. We're not stopping anybody. We don't know whether you're a believer or not. But, but it is a meal for um, believers. And we invite all those who profess faith in Christ to join us at this table. The servers will be served first. Uh, the, the worship team, I always forget to tell the worship team to come forward. I'm very sorry. 
that are a very important part of what we do here. And uh, so they'll be served along with elders and deacons, and then we'll invite you to come forward. On that last night, uh, just before Jesus would wrestle with the Lord about the overwhelming gravity of bearing the sins of the world, can you imagine crucifixion, nothing like it? It's just a horrible form of execution, just horrible. But that was nothing compared to your sin and my sin being put on Jesus. And, um, and, and him dying as the father turns his face away. And, 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 and God's wrath being poured out on him because of my sin, because of your sin. And so Jesus uh, gathered his disciples together. And Matthew 26 tells us, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That day that we read about this morning is going to be a reality. And Jesus said, after this, that's when I'll drink and eat with you again. So as we come to this table, confess your sin. And ask the Lord to draw you into close and deep fellowship with Him. Let's pray. Father, the beauty of this meal really overwhelms us. There are so many things about it that are meaningful to us. We remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. We recognize uh, that death is not the end. We look forward to the day when we are all gathered together in the kingdom that we have read about in Isaiah 11 this morning. And we will rejoice just as we did from Isaiah 12. And Lord, uh, as we partake today, may we first confess our sin. In being so judgmental and so critical of others who don't think as we do. And may we also take with the hope and the joy that we will be reunited not only with Callie, but with all those that we love who have gone before. Thank you, Jesus, for taking our place that we might have life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being faithful and constant in enabling us to fulfill the design that God has drawn for each of us and for the design of our entire church body. We need you and we confess that this meal Reminds us that you are sufficient. 
and that your ways, though not our ways, are best. And we yield ourselves to you in sorrow for our sin and joy for the life that we have in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Father, um, we're grateful for the truth of the song that we have just sung. It is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And even then, we are more than imperfect vessels. And while we are grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we recognize how very far short we fall. Father, please forgive us for our sin and we, we can confidently know that you will on the basis of what we have remembered today the death of Jesus Christ thank you so much for all that you do for us day in and day out in Jesus name Amen if you would remain standing for the benediction as we've come to this table today uh, hear these words from Paul from First uh, Corinthians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he surely will do so. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.